Well, I think we'll get started. Um, unless you have piles of questions and delay me, I plan to finish Ecclesiastes. We want to begin in verse 7 of chapter 11. And chapter 12 is the last chapter of the book. Just a reminder of a couple of things about the book. Um, there are so many things to say in summary, but perhaps the major part of the last six chapters is providence of God, which by now should just roll off your lips, you know what that means. But the providence of God, that is a reality, that's the truth, that's what we believe, that's what Solomon believed. But the tension that brings, there is so much that we don't understand about what God is doing, even though we believe and affirm in his providence. So at the end of the book, which really, verse 7 of chapter 11 starts that, he begins to focus on, now, none of you know what this phrase means, getting older and all of the tension that brings. But end-of-life issues are important issues. End-of-life issues are reality. Everybody uh, will face those. And so what Solomon is going to do is he's going to give us a theme in verses 7 through 10, and then he's going to use a whole bunch of metaphors or figures of speech to describe what happens to our bodies as we get older. So if you have not read that, we're going to have some fun with that. Well, maybe we won't have some fun. Maybe it'll get us depressed after we're done reading it. But anyway, as we look at verse 7 through 10, this is very typical of this kind of wisdom literature. There are figures of speech. The figure light represents life, and darkness represents death. So he says in verse 7, life is sweet. Light is sweet. Remember, light is representing, it's a figure of speech, metaphor representing life and darkness, a metaphor representing death. Light, light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Yesterday, my wife said to me five times, do you see the sun today, honey? Because, you know, it had been like, what, six days of gloom and darkness. And so, you know, she texted me. When I got home, I had a quick few minutes at lunch. I grabbed and got out of there because I had another thing I had to get to. She said, honey, look at, the, look at the sun. I said, yes, I am. I got you home. Did you see the sun? I mean, it was like, for her, it was like, it, it, was, it is what is, is true for all of us. The sun is just a wonderful blessing. My son lives in England, and one of the things he had to get used to when he relocated there was the dreary, dreary days of London, day after day after day after day of dreariness. So Solomon is just saying something. We all understand what this means. Remember, light represents life. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him to remember that the days of darkness will be many. Okay, That's, there's nothing particularly radical there except for one thing. The theme has been developing the last three chapters. Enjoy life. It's a gift from God. And that, that, is the, that is one of the most important lessons to take from this. But we don't understand everything that God is doing, but we respond in faith and trust in God. And we enjoy the station in life that he's given us, the season of life that he's given us, whatever. So he goes in verse, uh, um, verse 8. So if a person, I read, read that verse 9, rejoice, O man, in your youth, O young man, in your youth, let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. 
But know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. Those little phrases, follow the ways of your heart, the sight of your eyes, must be tempered, must be checked, must be balanced by a fact. You're accountable to God. Notice how he says that again. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart, the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Now that, that, that isn't a threat there. It's just it's the reality. What we choose to do, what goes with that is accountability to God. That's good advice to a young person. Life is sweet. Light is sweet. Darkness is not something we look forward to. So what's our response? Enjoy life. Young men, enjoy your life. That's one of the disturbing things I'm observing about so many young people today. And there are a lot of reasons. A lot of people are trying to figure it out and so on. But there is a growing body of evidence that young people today, again, these are broad stroke statements, young people today are not very happy. Depression, as I'm sure you've read, suicide rates are through the ceiling for, for young people. There are factors and reasons for that. So a lot of young people aren't following this advice. Solomon is saying something that every age, every, every, every phase of history, this has been something, enjoy the life. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of God, this makes more sense than if you're not a Christian. Get me one quick sidebar, and then I'll get back to the text. I've been doing quite a bit of reading of late because of some things we're, we're doing at our church. But the impact social media is having on young people. And you know how how the church responds. How, what do we? How do we lead in that with that area? Of that? I mean, the, 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 there's very little positive aspects of it. <laughs> Whether you're about Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, or whatever, the the impact this is having on young people has, for the most part, been negative. Now, the very positive aspects, like all things, there's both good things and bad things, but we seem to see because they accentuate so, so greatly. But you know, if you think about that for a minute, when I was that age, I was outside playing ball. I didn't have one of these things. I didn't have one of these things that tell me every minute we're running out of oil, we're running out of this, you know, something like that's going to happen. Exactly. And we played duck and cover in yeah. kindergarten. I don't know. It didn't seem to affect me too bad, but. When I went out on the playground, I wasn't looking at something telling yeah. me that, oh, yeah. I'm going to run out of yeah. oil. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And the, one of the other aspects of social media, and one thinks particularly of like Instagram or Facebook, you are encouraged to create your own reality or the, the term that people use to your own brand. You yeah. want to put out there what you brand. want people yeah. to think about you. So, you know, that phrase, it's a marketing phrase, but it's now applied to broadly, your own brand. And what if people don't respond to that very positively? It becomes a burden. Oh, my, okay, what do I do? How do I change? And you're right, though. Instead of out playing baseball or whatever it might be, there's this, there's this absolutely enraptured, I would even be very, very strongly arguing it's a, almost a slavery to social media. And you just you can't live without it. I mean, I find myself, although I, I, I chose not to have a Twitter account or a Facebook account 
my, my, my kids do, my wife does. I just chose not, because I have trouble keeping up with my emails and texts, <laughs> let alone responding to all these other things. I just, I'm not going to do it. But I've watched young people. It is just amazing. And Bill acted it up. They have this, this iPhone constantly in their face, interacting with and responding to. Like five, what else has happened? What's this friend put on Instagram? Maybe there's something about me. All Solomon is saying is, enjoy life. It's a gift from God. And if you don't follow that advice, your life is not going to be what God wants it to be. And he just says again, whatever you choose to do, remember you're accountable to God. I have followed a, a, a verse that's in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 12, I believe it is. Paul says this, all things are lawful to me, but not all things, I'll paraphrase, are for my good. Second clause, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. I have followed that in my own life. So you can take something like this iPhone and use it for positive advantages for you, managing your time, managing information, etc. But don't be enslaved by it. I will not be mastered by anything, Paul says. That's good advice to give to a young person. That's good advice to give to an older person. And so Solomon is trying to get across. He's bringing to it because he's an older man. We think he writes this near the end of his life. This is something I've learned. And I want young people, he says again, rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Enjoy your life. Follow your heart. Follow, But remember you're accountable to God. You don't live in a vacuum. And so he concludes in verse 10 now, remove this word vexation. That means mental anguish. Remove vexation from your heart, put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. In other words, these are the things you're going to face. So he begins then by elaborating, because remember, in the original text, there weren't chapters and there weren't verses. They were added later. So immediately in chapter 12, he just continues this. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Now, he did not say that. In verse 9, he said, rejoice in the days of youth. Now he says, remember also. So he said, adding an additional thought. Remember also your term, your, 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 your creator. The Hebrew word that we translate remember is far deeper in meaning than just recall. You know, when you, you and I use the word remember, you want somebody to recall something. Do you remember what I told you yesterday, son? I used to say that to my, my children a lot. Oh, I just wanted to recall. It's much deeper than that. The Hebrew term that we translate remember here is the, has very much the idea of reflection, of pondering. Do you know what I mean by pondering? Reflection, pondering on something. That means you're going to think deeply about it. It's not a superficial, cursory, frivolous thing. No, no, no. Reflect on, meditate upon, ponder your creator in the days of your youth. Why do you suppose Solomon chose to use the term creator? 
I mean, he could have said, remember God. Remember your God in the days of everyone who got what he meant. In, in elevates that everything in front of you as a young person is provided by God. Okay. God is the author and sustainer of life. Everything you are going to face, everything you face now, everything about your future ties to your creator. You are not a cosmic accident. You were created by God for purpose. For a purpose and so on. So all of that is wrapped into that. I like that. And of course, the Holy Spirit inspired this. But I like that because it gets us focused. It gets, as we read it today, would have gotten the people who first read the book focused on a fundamental truth about our faith. God is not only the sovereign, providential Lord of the universe. He's the creator. And going with that, and a couple of questions, but let me finish this thought. Going with that is a corollary. If God is our creator, that means we're accountable to him. I believe, quite strongly actually, I believe one of the major reasons people that are not believers are trying to find alternative explanations for the origin of things is I don't want to accept that there's a God who created everything, because if there's a God who created everything, that means he has the right to set the boundaries for life. That means I'm accountable to him. So, so Solomon is using that piercing, important, very theologically sound dimension of who our God is. He is the creator. He is the author of life. And creation stipulates by definition, dependence. Because if, if I'm a created being, that means I'm, I'm not some accident or some product of an impersonal force. Darwin called it natural selection. I am the result of a direct creative act by God. That is a profound thought. And Solomon says, ponder that young person. Reflect on that young person. Fred, you had your. Opinion. Well, I was just thinking, you know, why would they do that unless someone had spoken to them or maybe the Holy Spirit had called them uh, to repentance or to think about God as being their creator? Question. Well, I mean, all of those could be possibilities, what you just suggested. So, uh, I'm not quite sure how to answer your question. I'm not sure you can, I'm quite get, wondering what you're getting at. But for young people, and maybe your children were different than mine, but young people, as they move into those years of disease, that disease is called adolescence. <laughs> I, I believe it's a disease that's quite fatal for parents, but they seem to survive. But when they move into those years, that desire for independence gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And we as parents have the skill of moving children from dependence on us to dependence on God. But in that, we have to accept they're going to be independent from us and so on. And so that transition is a hard transition because going with independence is, I really don't want to be accountable. Maybe your children weren't like that. 
you know, it was just, I, I just want to do this. Don't tell me I can't do this. And they, you know, kind of the spirit of, of, of teenagers at that time. So I think Solomon is wanting them to remember something. Now, the assumption to the people who he had been writing to were that they were following Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, great theological center of Judaism. What do you do with that truth? You put it in your heart. What's the next thing you do? You teach your children, grandchildren. How do you teach it? A formal time of teaching, an informal time. As you're rising in the morning, as you're walking by the way, etc., you talk to them about God. So assuming they do that, then to remind young people that God is your creator. And I think that's one of the important aspects in 2023 that we must make sure our children and grandchildren are alert to this truth. There's not only a God, that God is your creator. This month's issue of Christianity Today had a delightful article. It's only a page and a half of an educator on the six things we should be teaching our children. And the thesis of the article is we are preparing our children for eternity. And that was, that was just an insightful little thought. And she just walked through six things we make sure we get our kid, get across to our kids because we're preparing them for eternity. And it's, it's a delightful little reminder of what Solomon is saying here. Young people, the days of youth, remember your creator. Reflect upon, meditate upon, ponder who God is. He is your creator. Before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Because, and he's talking about the year, as we get older, I will have no pleasure in them. And the older we get, the little more difficult it is to get up in the morning, the more difficult it is to have a positive view of the day. I'm, I'm thinking of those very latter years of life. I remember my father, those last two years, he was basically an invalid. It was very difficult for him, those years. That's all Solomon is saying. Again, back to the thing. Enjoy life. Enjoy what God has given you. And one of the keys to enjoying what God has given you is remember who he is. Then he goes on. Before the sun, in verse 2 now, and all, this is not hard to figure out, this figurative language. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. And so... What he's doing in verse 2 and into verse 3 is he's transitioning from youth to old age. Because as we get older, the sun, the light, the moon, the stars are darkened, and the clouds return after the rain. That's figurative language is we're getting older, diminished vitality in aspects of life. And then in verse 3 through verse and it really goes through verse 7, he uses an entire itemization of what happens to our body. But he uses figurative language. And I have all this detail in your notes on page 26 and 27 if you want to follow it, because all I'm going to do is read through this. But my grandmother, my mother's mother, my grandmother, and I would have been much, much younger then, but my grandmother, when I would go in to see her, I think it was four times, maybe five times, 
she would pull this chapter out of and she would bring her Bible out on her lap, open it to this chapter, and she'd read it to me. In the days when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are doomed and the doors on the street are shut, when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid also of that of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along. Desire fails because man is going to his eternal home. The mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped and the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. And my grandmother would walk through each one of those and see, see the keepers of my house are trembling. What does that mean? My arms and my legs are growing weak. When strong men stood, she's wall, she started walking like this. What is Solomon describing? What happens to our body as we get older? See, he's, remember how to start. Remember, remember you young people. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Because this is what's going to happen to you. Now, this is going to be a terribly discouraging class. So if, have the freedom to get up and leave if you mm -hmm. want to. Are you, can, you going to say that this will happen to us, too? <laughs> um, I am not a prophet, Fred. I, I cannot <laughs> predict. But you saying happen Yeah, thank you, Bill, for getting me out of that. But Bill rescued me. He's making a – this is already happening to us. So, Okay. And you guys on online are young. Just you know, just pay attention because this is going to happen to you, even though you can't conceive of it. That grinders cease because they are few. What's that? We're losing our teeth. Looking through the windows grows doom, grows to dim. Our eyesight. Cataracts. Yeah, thank you. A, a modern example of that would be cataracts. Bill just had cataracts. Yeah. The doors to the street are shut. Lint, this is great. Lint, our lips sinking as our teeth are lost. Now, in the ancient world, and I'm sure you know, in the ancient world, they did not have, in any sense of the word, sophisticated dentistry. So most people would lose their teeth by the time they're old. You maybe already know this. This was true up until you get through the 20th century. George Washington, George Washington died in 1799, he had one tooth. That was his. He had false teeth. They were terribly uncomfortable. His gums were always bleeding because of the, the nature of false teeth at that time. But it was very, very typical to lose most of your teeth by the time you die. And that's all Solomon is observing is this, this is what will happen to him. And he goes on, the sound of the grinding is low. When you eat food without many teeth, it's slow. That's why sometimes as you get older, your diet is more and more of a liquid diet because it's difficult to chew. The greatest disappointment of my father was that he could no longer eat corn on the cob in the summertime. He just couldn't do it. He, you know, he did not take care of his teeth as he maybe should have, and so he lost a lot of his teeth. 
and because of what was happening to him in those last uh, about two years. And he would often lament that. The one thing that he always loved in the summer was to eat corn on the cob. He couldn't do it anymore. One rises up at the sound of birds. What's that mean? Can't sleep. I know one thing. I, I mean, I'm the oldest man in this room. But I know one thing. I don't sleep as soundly as I did when I was younger. I don't. I don't. That's just the way it is. The daughters of song are brought low. That, that this is a really interesting metaphor. Impaired hearing. So you cannot enjoy music. Afraid of what is high and of terrors in the way. Oh, goodness, is that fear of height and fear of stumbling and venturing when you go outside? One, I, I think you guys are, would, 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 would agree to this. A, a number of my friends who are older than I, and I remember both my mother and my dad, they basically would not go out at night anymore because they were always afraid of falling. That's what Solomon is saying. This isn't rocket science, what he's talking about. The almond tree blossoms. Our hair turns gray and white because the blossom of the almond tree is white. Well, this is depressing. Grasshopper drags himself along. Bent body, the walk is very slow. Desire fails. I'm not going to comment on that at all. Well, maybe I should. The desire for a lot of things, and be, be very blunt, because he is undoubtedly referring the sexual desire. Those aspects and dimensions of life are not as important as they were. Man goes to eternal home, and mourners go about in the streets. And that's, of course, just, this is where it ends. Death, grave, grieving people. And then the last two verses of this paragraph, verse 6 and verse 7, are speaking effect again? It's all figurative language. Before the silver cord, the silver cord is snapped, told to go, the spine and the nervous system deteriorate, brain is affected. The pitcher is shattered at spring. The heart and the circulatory system fail, and thus returns to ground the spirit to God. The separation of the body and the spirit, which is what death is. So why does Solomon? This is my grandmother. I, I didn't mean. I hope you understood the spirit. This is my grandmother, who was, she lived to maybe. One, I think it was, but when I would go in and see her, she would read and say, Did this to me? George Gordon, Jimmy, this what's happening to me. And I would say, Well, Grandma, you don't have to read this every day. <laughs> read something else. <laughs> but it was just a reminder that as we get older, this is what happens to us the deterioration, the debilitation of our physical bodies. Why is Solomon doing this? Go back to verse one. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, because this is going to happen. So the vitality of life is something the young because you only have a few years. Now, I'm sure you, my kids, even my, my son's 40, my daughter's 30, 34. They're, they're still not thinking about the things I think of in terms of, you know, is it making sure that your will is up to date and that all your funerals, we, we arrange all this stuff for kids because one of our, our children lives in England. We didn't want him to have to. So we, the other thing, we're just making sure that all those things are in place. Our kids aren't thinking about that stuff at all. And a 20-year-old, they don't even think about those things. Solomon is saying, life is short. Enjoy every day as a gift from God because remember, 
This is what's going to happen. And it's a good reminder of the truth that I know, and I think you would all agree, and certainly the Bible keeps saying it over and over again. Psalm 90, verse 12. Lord, teach me to number my days. Life is short. I look back over my life, and I honestly, I cannot believe, one, how old I am, I cannot believe all that's happened. And yet I look back and I think, that doesn't seem that long ago. And I'm talking about something that's 30 years ago. It doesn't seem that long ago. Life is short. And the instruction of Scripture is make every day count for God, because life is short. And all Solomon is doing is reminding us. All right, are you depressed? Should I bring in a therapist now to help us? Okay. <laughs> Golden bowl. I'm sorry? The golden bowl. It's an allergy. Oh, the, uh, the, 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 the cord is reflecting to the nervous system, and the golden bowl is the brain. Yeah, the brain, yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't understand the question. But. All right. Are you with me on this? You guys online, are you depressed? The guys in here, I'm going to have to bring in a counselor. It's, it's pretty bad in this. Yes, Jim, uh, Mr. Woody, I'm thoroughly depressed. <laughs> and uh, Sorry. I want to know what grinder meant. What was that? Was that the, the teeth? The teeth. Oh, okay. Thank referring you. to the teeth. Yep. All right. I'm going to rescue myself and get out of this and get to verse 8, okay? So Solomon now goes back to square one, and he repeats his theme of the book. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. The theme of the book is repeated. How futile, now listen, this is why he says it. How futile to have lived a life and not known the key to living. That's what he's repeating that. Because that's what he's going to say. I have found the answer. To vanity, vanity, I found the answer. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing, studying, arranging many problems with great care. He's saying, I've learned something. I've learned something. I've just shared it in the book. And the answer to the tension of vanity of vanities, all is vanity, is to learn the key to living. What's the key to living? There is a God. He's the creator. And his providence is real. And he gives us a gift. He says this five times in the book. That gift is to enjoy life. He's just given us a reason why. Because it's short. But enjoy every day. That's the key. How to have, it's like he's saying, how tragic to have lived a life and missed the key to living. So he says, I have shared this with my people, verse 9. I taught my people the knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging. He's talked about, he started, he talked about that at the beginning of the book. He talked about that in chapter. Three, I think, and I said, this, this is a, what I've summarized. This is a, a result of lots of study, lots of investigation, going through an observing lot, and I've shared it with you. I've shared it with my people. 
The preacher, verse 10, the preacher sought to find words of delight. And uprightly he wrote the words of truth. The key to living is God, the creator and providential sovereign, who gives us a gift to enjoy our lives. It's truth. The words of the wise, this is quite wonderful actually, the words of the wise are like goads. What's a goad? God. Yeah, to prod animals into action. It was usually used of oxen, to prod them into action. And he goes on, they're like goats and like nails firmly fixed. That's maybe not as, as well understood. This is, what, this is what, what, what shepherds used to fasten their tent so they wouldn't blow away. So that's a good metaphor. It's actually a simile, like, that's a, that's a good simile. It's the anchor. If you know this, believe this, and apply this, it'll bring stability to your life. It'll goad you into action, and it'll bring stability to your life. And then look at, look at what he says at the end of verse 11. They are given by one shepherd. I believe in all of your translations, shepherd should be capitalized. Is it? Yes. Okay. To whom is that referring? God. God in the Old Testament is referred over and over and over again as the shepherd of Israel. Genesis 49, 24, Psalm 80, verse 1, and Psalm 95 develops it quite extensively. Let's talk about this for a little bit. And you see how he's using these figures of speech and connecting them. Goad. Firmly embedded nails, shepherd. A shepherd is someone who guides and nurtures and directs sheep. There's a revolutionary statement. Shepherd sheep. But you got to remember, sheep. They're not very smart animals. They will follow any animal, I, I, was it you, Fred, who said, somebody, I was talking about the night was in another place, I was in another class, I'm sorry, I was another, oh, I know, it was a sermon I preached this summer, uh, anyway, somebody in church sent me a little YouTube thing, there was a guy in England who was riding a bicycle, and he rode, he rode through a whole bunch of sheep, and you know what happened? Those sheep started following him, and they followed him for miles, he tried to get them, he would stop, they'd stop, he'd go, they'd go. He went a different direction. They went, and you know, he could, I don't want to following me. It's just an indication of how dumb sheep are. And he, he, it took him, it took him hours to lose those sheep. Because they just kept following. Why did they follow him? Sheep need a shepherd. And some guy on a bike in the hill country of France, for some reason, these sheep followed him. And it wasn't just three or four sheep. It was a whole herd of sheep. Because when one sheep starts doing something, the rest of them just fall. Our shepherd, capital S, this is what he's saying. They're like goats. They're firmly embedded. This truth sourced in one shepherd. Solomon is, in effect, declaring, this is not just my truth. This is God's truth. 
God is the creator. That's how he's revealed himself. He is the sovereign providential one as he's revealed himself. So listen to what I said about him and about our lives. And then he warns, my son, be aware of anything beyond these. Of the making of books, there's no end, and much study is weary, a weariness of the flesh. Some of these talked about before. But he warns them. Why? What's he warning his what's he warning his readers? Don't think anything in addition to what I've said. My judgment today, as I look at evangelicalism in North America, is many evangelical Christians are following people they shouldn't be following. They're not following God. They're not following the word of God. They're following others. And in a sense, what Solomon is saying here is very instructive. Let's put it in, 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 in a principle. Be careful where you get your, quote, wisdom, close quote. Be careful where you get the principles for living. Would you agree with that? Okay, nobody agrees with that. Anybody online agree with that? Okay. Don't you agree, though? It'd be careful where you're getting the principles of how to live life. You know, I hesitate to start putting names out there, so I won't do that. But probably, um, as we were talking in the early part of the class, social media is probably not a good source of wisdom and principles for living. Doesn't mean there maybe are not some good things out there, but just be very wise and be very discerning. Make sure what is being said fits with what God is, our shepherd, has declared. And as Solomon will say this over and over again in, in, uh, in, in Proverbs particularly, the source of wisdom is God. The beginning of wisdom is God. And all of that. So I used to teach my students the very first question you should ask about anything. Has God spoken to this issue? And so how do you find out the answer to that question? By going to, to the Word. And not necessarily going to Facebook or Instagram or TikTok. It's going to the Word. Uh, and again, it's not that there might not be some good things out there as they match up with what God is, but it's, it's make sure we're seeing things the way God sees them, and the only way we can discern that is by. Right. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Well, I think, uh, and I'm not, maybe I don't know all you mean by wise counsel, but I think seeking wise counsel is, is a path to wisdom for someone, because wise counsel is someone in assuming you trust that person. Wise count, they're, they're sharing with you, one, what they've learned from life, but one, what they learned from life by following God. And I think that's one of the reasons why uh, in, in the school I used to, to lead, 
we had a graduate counseling program, and our counseling program was centered on the Word of God, not on secular counseling uh, uh, wisdom, quote unquote. I, and I think that because a wise counselor is someone who's walked with God and can help you learn from the counsel that's in Scripture. How do I apply this practically in my life? And the wise counsel is learning from those who can share with you the wisdom that's sourced in God, not the wisdom that's sourced in Sigmund Freud, for example. I think I'm going to do it. And the it is finish the book. No. Yes, Joe, I'm in verse 13. It's inevitable. The end of the matter. This is it. We've worked through 12 chapters to get to these two verses. Okay, Solomon, what's the bottom line? Here's the bottom line. Dear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man, because God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Okay, let's take these apart. Fear God. In the notes, and I've, you've heard me say this over and over again, the, the term fear when God is the subject, fear is a worship word. It's our response to who God is. It's our response to what we've learned about him, what he's revealed about himself, and what he tells us about his plan in, in terms of, of the future and so on. So, um, to, to, I'm trying to think how I want to ask this question because I, I want to make sure that you're, you're really tracking with this. Why, why is fearing God a way to talk about worshiping God? Why didn't he say worship God? He said fear God. He kind of bring in the awesome wonder of God. Mm. It's capturing more of his character and who he is when you use the word fear. Solomon will say in the Proverbs, the fear, it's, it's right, the fear of the Lord is to begin with. That's another way he talks about wisdom in, in his writings. The fear of the Lord is beginning wisdom. Fear God. Paul speaks a number of times in his 13 letters, not at all, but a number of times in those 13 letters, that fear, fearing God is part of our response to God. So when I say it's a worship word, which I think it is, it's a response to God. And Fred said it correctly, who he is, the awesome nature of his character and his being, in contrast to who I am. He's the creator, I'm a creature. He's infinite, I'm finite. He's eternal, I'm temporal. He, he's, he's omniscient, I'm not. And on and on and on. So my response to that is, oh. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean I'm cowering in fear. That's, that's how the Greco-Romans go. I'm cowering in fear of Zeus. Or like the... Like the uh, the Babylonians, I'm cowering in fear of Marduk. He's going to hurl a thunderbolt at me. That's not how we respond to God. Because of who he is, what he's done, we understand him, we come into a relationship with him. 
It's a worshipful reverence and awe of who he is in contrast to who I am. Let's put it another way, and this isn't original with me. It's a proper understanding of who God is. He's not your next door neighbor. He's your friend. That's what Jesus says. I call you friend. But he's the creator. He's the sovereign. He knows how to run my life. I don't. And I worshipfully defer to his sovereignty. That's all encompassed in that phrase, fear God. And because of who God is and our worshipful response to who he is, it necessarily leads to this, obedience. Keep his commandments. And the Bible makes this very, very clear. And I, I, think, I hope you would agree with me. That Jesus perhaps said it best. If you love me, keep my commandments. So our, our worshipful response to the being, purpose, and awesome character of God is a response of loving obedience. Because love is an aspect and dimension of worship. So therefore, I want to obey him. Solomon puts it this way, where this is the whole duty of man. He puts it in an ethical context. This is our duty to God. Duty is an ethical response. I have a duty. That's part of what I, I am supposed to do. But it's because I want to do it because of who he is. And what great counsel to give to a young person. Make sure these two things characterize your life. Worshipful response to who he is and a response of loving obedience. I want to obey him because I love him. But he doesn't stop. This ends the book. We're accountable to God. Because God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Jesus talks about this in his teaching. The secret thoughts of men will be revealed. So God's not only interested in the outer acts, but even the motivation that's behind those acts. And that's how he ends the book. May I read the last two paragraphs of my notes? You have these, but I'm going to read them to you. What then is the profit of living? What does a human race get for all its work? What is the value and purpose of life? The answer is the living God. Humans are responsible beings, not brutes. The beginning, the middle, and the end of life is coming to know and trust God, receiving his good gifts, learning how to enjoy those good gifts, understanding the major part of his plan for us, and being guided into the joyous and strenuous pursuit of the art of living, even though portions of this life are mysterious and uncertain. I tried to write this in a way that summarized all these chapters into phrases, because that's what he's been telling us the whole way through the book. This is the answer to my dilemma, vanity of vanity, all vanity. This is the answer. So I concluded, the box of the universe is not closed. This is a, there is a transcendent God who's revealed himself to us. We can know him. We can enjoy him. We can walk with him. We can experience the joy and fulfillment he has intended for us. It is a life of faith and of confident trust in him. That's a great place for an amen. But you missed it. Okay. We're done with the book of Ecclesiastes.
a lot of you are saying, boy, am I ever glad this book is over. <clears throat> see and I'm going to use a big word, but if they can see in us authenticity, there's a lot of credibility in that. If they, you know, in authenticity, they perceive that what we say is what we're living, that there's authenticity, it's authentic. That gives some credibility. They might listen. Can't guarantee it, but they might listen. One of the, um, there are a lot of different things in my life that I can look back on. But right now, one of the supreme enjoyments of my life is every two or three weeks, I have coffee with my son-in-law, um, my, my daughter's husband. And what is really neat about he's he's a, he's a fairly young Christian, but he's very serious about his faith, very serious about his husband and father. And he he asked me, can, can we meet for coffee? This was a year and a half ago or whatever. Can we meet for coffee? I, I just need some some thoughts, some counsel. Well, this has turned into he's asked me lots of questions. He's he's he, he's a very smart guy. He got an executive position in a company here in town. And yet he's he's not asking me about what do you think I should do in this and this and this. He's trying to apply what scripture teaches to his life in all these categories. That is one of the most joyful things I've ever done in my life. And I mean, it really is that my son-in-law would want to sit down and have coffee with me every couple of weeks. That is, I mean, that's the most joyful thing. Some of these questions things are really difficult. Last time our kids from England were here last summer, uh, George, our oldest grandson, Jonathan, I mean, his oldest boy, Peggy was in her bedroom doing her exercise, exercise and therapy she has to do every day. And she was in there doing it. The door was half closed. So George pushed the door open, jumped off of the bed, and started asking Peggy questions. And one of the questions is, her, he calls her Graham, I'm Pops. Graham, how do you understand Jesus? Well, you know, it was a great question. And I mean, he is because they had been talking about this earlier. And so she starts talking to him, and she says, George, do you believe in Jesus? Oh, yes, Jesus died on this cross for my sins. And just for her to hear him say that and just review all of that, you know, that he, her grandson, would be willing to jump on the bed and talk to her. <laughs> you know, there's just little tiny, but that kind of interaction with our children, our grandchildren, or whatever the context might be, because... My prayer is, and I'm sure you guys are the same, my prayer is that I can be a source of wisdom for my children and grandchildren. Whether they're going to seek that out or not. And I'm sure every one of you has experienced this. The most enjoyable thing for me is to hear my kids say to me, you know, Dad, you were right. <laughs> you ever have them say that to you? Dad, you were right. Jonathan said that to me last, uh, last year or, or something, but just, I mean, you know, you think, 
it's like when you do most of you're, for you, it's going in one ear and out the other for them. They are not hearing what I'm saying at all. And then decades later, they say, Dad, you were right about that. Something's catching there. <laughs> so somewhere it got one brain cell somehow caught it. I, I'm, I hope you don't mind me using those personal examples. I don't mean that self-elevation. But those are the kinds of things Solomon says, and I just summarized it, enjoy life. It's hard. I mean, it is. Life is very difficult. And as we get older and all those things about our grinders and the, 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 the clappers no longer open and the things that he metaphorically describes as we get older, that still means we can. Because every day we draw a breath. This is stewardship from God. We're still alive. What does he want me to do? It may be just to engage in robust prayer, because there's not much else you can do, and that's not where any of you are yet. But whatever it is, every day you're drawing breath, God still has something for you to do. And so Psalms is saying, enjoy life as a stewardship from God. It is important. Remember your creator from the days of your youth. Well, I'm done. Father, thank you for our study in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's been a long slog. We've been in it for a number of months. But uh, I hope it was valuable for the men. It's one of my favorite books to study. But it really opens up our eyes to the meaning and purpose of life. It's not that difficult. God is the creator. God's providence is real. He gives us the gift to enjoy our lives. How sad it must be for so many humans to miss the meaning and purpose of life. To live our whole life frustrated, anxious, worrying, not certain about anything, not even certain what's going to happen at death. Solomon discourages that perspective about life and encourages, from the days of your youth, remember your creator. Remember the God who brought you into being, who created you as a unique individual of worth and value to him. And the eternal purposes will only be realized when you cultivate a relationship with him by faith. What a way to live. Lord, I feel so sad and sorry for people who miss the whole purpose of life. May that not be true of anyone online or here in this room. Thank you because of our time we live on this side of the cross. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending him. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You were willing to go to the cross and die for us, pay the penalty for our sin, be resurrected and now ascended in glory at the right hand of the Father, waiting for him to say, go get your church. That's our hope, the blessed hope. And that gives us meaning and purpose for life. Help us to enjoy every day you give us breath, and we live for you, and we represent you well. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. See you guys next week.